Welcome to Women in Chemicals, Woman of the Week. I'm Amelia. And I'm Kylie, and we're joined this afternoon by Victoria Meyer, um, host of the Chemical Show podcast and president of Progressio Global. Hi, ladies. So delighted to be here with you today. Thank you, Victoria. Today's episode is sponsored by ChemDesign, a proud supporter of women in chemicals. ChemDesign is a premium chemical tool manufacturer of agricultural, specialty, and fine chemicals committed to diversity and inclusion in the workplace. From our ISO 9000 and ChemSteward certified facility in Marionette, Wisconsin, customers have been fulfilling their outsourced manufacturing goals through process optimization, innovation, and collaboration. With the highest commitment to quality and operational standards, our technical staff will make chemistry work for you. Great. Thanks for that, Amelia. And Victoria, thanks so much for joining us. Um, so for our community and those that keep up with us, we actually, and by we, I mean Amelia and myself, had the opportunity to uh, chat a little bit more about what Women in Chemicals is all about on Victoria's very own podcast, The Chemical Show. So um, it is an honor to have Victoria doing the same for us on our podcast. So thanks yeah. for joining us. You're welcome. I'm really glad to be able to do this. I really enjoyed talking with you guys on my podcast and it's gotten some great reviews and uh, looking forward to sharing the opportunity again. Great. Great. So Victoria, introduce yourself. Tell our community a little bit about yourself, your current um, activities and your, your, your roles um, and how you got to where you're at today. Sure. So I am uh, the host of the Chemical Show podcast and president of Progressio Global, which is a boutique consultancy focusing in on the chemical industry and helping uh, executives close the gap between strategy and execution. So my journey in the chemical industry uh, might have first started in our, my backyard when I was a kid, right, with my brother's chemistry set and setting off rockets, um, which was pretty darn fun. And then, you know, really along the way, I had several decision points that um, led me back into the chemical industry. So I'm a chemical engineer by undergrad. Um, interned uh, when I was in undergrad with UOP, which is a big process uh, technology company um, and got my first flavor on it. And then when I was uh, going to college or coming out of college um, and going into industry, I was in the Chicago area and kind of the two choices for chemical engineers seemed to be food or oil and chemicals. And I did not want to get into the food industry. That was not appealing to me whatsoever. Um, and so I took the opportunity to, uh, took a job to see the world with Amico Chemical back when there was an Amico Chemical um, as a project engineer. Um, I didn't manage to see the world with them. I saw some glorious garden spots in the U.S. like uh, Marietta, Ohio and uh, Augusta, Georgia and Houston, Texas. Um, but uh, it kind of just set me on my path. Um, and I spent a couple of years there, went and worked for Quantum Chemical and Manufacturing. Um, and Quantum is now part of Lyondell Bacell, so polyethylene and polypropylene um, plastics at the time. And um, while I was there, I started working on my MBA, left work to go to school full time. And when I was getting recruited out of business school, I again had a decision point. Um, I looked at going and consulting pretty heavily because that's what MBAs from top tier schools do. Um, that seems to be the, you know, the, the choice of the day. Often uh, I looked at going into the pharmaceutical industry and then I looked at coming back into chemicals and I'd swore I was not going back into the chemical industry. 
and I wasn't coming into moving to Texas. And uh, after assessing my options, I said, uh, I made some decisions based on lifestyle. Um, I knew I did not want the consulting lifestyle where you're, you know, totally a road warrior. Um, and recognized that by coming back into the chemical industry, I thought the opportunities were greater. So I joined Shell in an MBA development program. They hired two MBAs a year, um, and we got very focused opportunities for leadership and growth, et cetera. I honestly thought I was going to stay at Shell for five years and leave, right? Because that was enough. Um, almost 20 years later before I left. Um, and actually at that time had had the opportunity to progress through a wide variety of roles, um, strategy, commercial, new business development, um, just a host of things and um, traveled around the world, managed teams around the world and really got a great appreciation of life and work in the chemical industry, especially at a major. Um, and, uh, and that was a great experience. Left Shell, went to Clarion for a couple of years. And it was when I left Clarion, I had kind of my third pivot, which is when I started at my consulting business. Um, I looked at going back into a corporate role and opted that I just wasn't interested. Um, I had always said back from the time I was uh, probably a young engineer, I'm going to work for a few years and I'm going to have my own company. Well, life has a way of just taking over right? And the nice paycheck and the stock options and bonuses, et cetera, uh, until you finally draw the line in the sand. And so I um, formed and founded my consulting company, Progressio Global, in, uh, at the end of 2017 um, with a real focus on helping chemical companies achieve their goals more effectively, particularly in the areas of strategy and marketing. Wow, what a story. My goodness, I could ask questions all day about just your kind of your background and how we are here for what you're doing today. I think you made some some great comments and the one that sticks out to me and, and forgive me as I'm typing and taking some notes while you're speaking, but um, you said that you had assessed your options during some of these decision points along your career journey. Um, and, and really thought about how those decisions could impact your lifestyle. Um, and I think we talk about that, you know, kind of commonly within some of these, uh, interviews and it's been kind of a learning curve for me or just something that I value, uh, becoming more aware of how, you know, people in different phases, stages of life can still make these, you know, career pivoting decisions, uh, and, and make, you know, recognize what their priorities are during those stages of life. And so it's very cool to see, you know, different stories take you different places and how cool is it to, you know, be doing what you're doing right now. So thank you. Very cool. So Victoria, as we kind of absolutely recognize the fact that you have 30 plus years in the industry, um, how have you seen the industry itself change, you know, since, you know, your undergrad and your, your chemical background to what you're doing today in consultancy? Yeah, it's, it's definitely evolved, right? So, I mean, I think the chemical industry has always been a really robust, resilient industry. Um, I think it's an industry that respects itself more now than it used to, right? So in a lot of ways, um, the chemical industry is an unseen industry, right? So unless you're working in chemicals, you don't actually have appreciation 
for the interactions you have on a daily basis with chemicals, right? So um, when I was at Shell, I was starting up its polyethylene business, um, which is frankly still starting up. It's been a long, slow startup process. Uh, and, you know, people would be like, well, I don't understand what's polyethylene. I'm like, okay, well, let me, let me tell you what it is, right? Like, um, it's your dry cleaning bags. And did you wash your hair today? It's your shampoo bottle. And it's the, um, it's the fuel tank in your car. And it's, it's all of these things. And the same is true when I worked in the surfactant business, you know, people like, I don't understand. What do you do? Like, do you wash your hands? Do you wash your hair? It's the soapy stuff that's helping you wash your hair, your body, your clothing, et cetera. So, um, so I think for a long time, though, the chemical industry was content to be kind of a behind the scenes industry. And I think it's really, um, it's holding itself to a higher standard these days, both from just in terms of what it delivers um, for individuals. Certainly this last year of COVID um, has heightened the importance of all the biocides and cleaning products and single use plastics and stuff. So, so there's that aspect of it. Um, as a woman in chemicals, I think I, I do see more women in chemicals, right? So I think, um, I think it's an evolution of work everywhere, however, not just the chemical industry. I think there are some industries that have been a bit more um, advanced, right? Because they've just had more women in leadership positions than the chemical industry does, since it tends to be very technical. Um, whether you think about manufacturing and logistics or commercial roles like you guys are in, um, it's tended to have a much more male dominated, um, uh, viewpoint. Um, but that's evolving, not evolving very quickly necessarily, but definitely evolving. Um, and it, you know, I think there's just more awareness. And so with that awareness comes better work environments and better opportunities. Thanks for sharing that. I think that you, you mentioned the industry holds itself to a higher standard today. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. I think that there are so many voices um, and actions. And like you said, just much more awareness that goes on today that makes everyone, I think, feel more involved or obligated or motivated or inspired to have a little bit of a louder voice. Um, and I hope that that continues, right? So I hope right. that, you know, what we both do um, with our, our podcasts and, and so much more continues to do that and inspire other voices to be just as loud, right? Yeah, absolutely. So as we kind of dig into further the topic about women specifically in our industry, do you think that we're doing enough today to empower and support women in the industry? And how can we continue to support women? Um, I, I mean, I think the long and the short answer is no and yes. Um, I actually see it as a very bifurcated issue. So I think a lot of the major corporations are far more advanced, right? So, I mean, I worked for Shell and uh, Shell was just very far advanced in terms of its thinking about diversity and inclusion across all lines, um, gender, sexuality, et cetera. Um, I had a ton of great female um, mentors and sponsors and people I could aspire to be. Um, that changed over time. So when I first joined the company, um, I didn't see a lot of women in leadership that looked like me or looked 
like I wanted to be in my future life, right? So they um, tended to be either single or perhaps they were married, they had no kids or they had one kid. Um, they weren't very relatable. And I really kind of thought, I, I don't actually know how to be this perfect, almost male, right? Because there was even this, this physicality that they um, had that was very kind of much more androgynous than feminine. Right. And I think over the years, I saw an evolution and a lot more women in leadership um, that embraced all parts of their their lives. Right. Um, and that resonated more with who I wanted to be and who I wanted to become. Um, and so I think that's um, one aspect of it. Um, so I I think there's still room. Right. So I think there's some major companies that are doing well. Shell's doing well. Dow's doing well. Others are doing well at bringing women along. Um, I see uh, at a lot of the smaller companies, it's there's less women. Right. And is it a function of the way they hire? Is it a function of just their sheer attractiveness? I mean, I've certainly through the years gotten approached by recruiters about certain companies are like, hey, would you be interested? I'm like, no, thanks. I'm not going there. You, you'd have, you couldn't pay me enough money to go there. Um, and so I think, so that's hard. That's hard to make that change and break through. Um, but I think what it comes down to in a lot of ways, for me, it's a lot around micro inequities. So I don't necessarily think that uh, the discrimination, if you will, that goes on in the chemical industry is necessarily overt. Um, it's in these micro inequities and in these beliefs. So, you know, I'll take, take you guys, for instance, young, maybe 30-ish, um, early in your career. And as you progress and develop, um, and do you, oh, well, you want to have a baby. So you're not going to want to take this job. Don't make that judgment for me. And so I think some of this is things, people, well, make well-intended decisions and advice based on what they think is best for you or what they think is more suitable for a woman or a, either whether it be a single woman or a woman in a dual income um, household or a woman with children that are young or a woman that children that are old. And, um, and I, so I think the reality is make these opportunities open regardless of what your circumstances you can be the best judge of that. We have so many options these days about what we do. Um, for myself, I remember going into a role and, uh, and I had been, so you guys know this and now other people spill too, I have four girls. Um, it's, I have traveled throughout my entire career. My husband has always had a secondary career. He retired before I did to stay home and take care of the kids. Um, and that's the balance that we've chosen to make. Um, and it's worked out great for us. We had a nanny for 12 years, best thing ever. <laughs> um, I used to tell people, even if you don't have a kid, you need a nanny because they're <laughs> just going to keep your life together. Um, and so it, it was, it's, but people make these decisions. Well, oh, well, I know you can't travel because you have kids. Did I ever say that? My passport is always ready. I cannot travel tomorrow. You are correct. Mm-hmm. I can never travel tomorrow. You need to give me, you know, 70, seven days notice or whatever. And then I can make arrangements and do whatever. But 
if I was single with no kids, I'd probably tell you, I can't travel tomorrow either because you know what, I'm going out drinking with my friends or I'm going to go do something else. So, um, I think where the opportunity is to create more awareness and, and less judgment and the judgment is not intentional. It's try many times it's done in the interest of being supportive and yet it's not. Um, I think the other thing to help women is, you know, the reality is we need more sponsors and less mentors. So when men are progressing in their career, nobody offers to get him a mentor. I mean, I've managed so many men and at no point in my life has any man come to me and said, I need a mentor. And yet women are trained to say, I need a mentor. Oh, hey, mm -hmm. you need a mentor. Do you have one? I'll hook you up with one. I don't need a mentor. I need a sponsor. Um, I need access. I need somebody that can teach me how to network. I don't think we teach people. And I'm going to say this in this men or women, men and women rather, um, it may be more of a bias towards women. I don't know. I don't think we teach people how to network very well and, and what to do when, Hey, you should go talk to Sue about, you know, she's got an opportunity. What am I supposed to say when I go talk to Sue? So don't just go tell mm -hmm. me to talk to Sue. Tell me how to have the conversation. This is how the conversation is going to go. This is what you should be prepared to ask. This is, oh, that's helpful. Setting up an appointment to talk to somebody nice, not super helpful. So I think we have to just get more practical, um, more open about sponsorship, less, um, you know, and, and more supportive in that way and just not prejudge, but, you know, make your own decisions. Great. There's so many good nuggets of advice to take away from this. I'm very excited to see where our listeners will take this, but I think for me, you started, you know, with a comparison between more major corporations and, and the work and the awareness or the visibility that they might have um, a bit of a grander, you know, visibility to, to our communities that they can create or more access to compared to small businesses. And I would be interested to have, you know, and maybe my next uh, pairing mixer, uh, with someone as part of a, a small business compared to, I work for 3M, so a global organization, what their experiences have been like and the support that they see has been like. Um, and I think of you, Amelia, and I think of your experiences with smaller organizations too on those comments. Yeah, absolutely. Amelia, do you have any commentary to add before I jump to the next question at all? There was so much there that <laughs> I don't even know where to start. A lot of it did resonate with me, like in terms of just, and especially working in a, um, a smaller organization that is more male dominated, even if I work up the courage to go ask someone in leadership for help, like the amount of accessibility and especially coming up in the industry, it just wasn't ever there for me. And I constantly felt like a, it was a little bit like offending for myself type thing. So I love this idea of sponsorship where you really like have somebody who is at your disposal and an advocate and accessible for you. And Victoria, I honestly would love to hear like how you differentiate mentorship and sponsorship. Yeah. So, so a sponsor is basically going to go to bat for you. So let's just say there's 
I'll take Kylie as an example. There's a great promotion available to her that is maybe a double bump. Her sponsor is actually going to be the one that goes and works behind the scenes and says, Kylie's ready for this. She's demonstrated it. She knows how to make this happen. Does she have everything? Nope. None of the candidates do. I know, though, that she is going to do awesome in that job, and, and I'm willing to push for her. A mentor is more of a coach, right? So it's like, oh, hey, there's this job I'm interested in. What should I do? Okay, your mentor might say, okay, well, have you talked to the hiring manager yet? Think about these three things to polish your resume and, and stuff. So it's um, sponsors work on your behalf, whereas mentors tend to work with you. Understood. One other question about this. So when I think of mentors, I think of both, you know, internal and external stakeholders to my career. Would a sponsor be a primarily an internal like or contact or external as well? I think it's, it can be both. Absolutely can be external. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys are both in business school. You may have a business school professor that would be a great sponsor for you. When you think about as you're getting ready to graduate, if there's some opportunities out there, there may be one of your professors who could say, listen, there is this awesome job over here and Amelia is the right fit for it. So, um, so they can be internal or external. I think they probably tend to be a little bit more often internal, um, but, but that's just a matter of exposure yeah, um, as opposed to anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love and I think this. When you're, and when I think when you're in smaller companies though, and, and you know, like, uh, like Amelia, like a lot of people in the chemical industry, you have to actually get outside of your company to get both mentorship and sponsorship because there's just not enough room for growth a lot mm-hmm. of times in a smaller company. Yeah, exactly. I love the idea behind sponsorship that you are proactively like finding somebody to advocate for you. Because I think a lot of times, like especially kind of in the more corporate organizations, you have your dotted line boss and, and they're your primary advocate. But realistically, you could solicit or find any number of sponsors that mm-hmm. you wanted. So yeah, I love this commentary. Thank you. Yeah. Now sponsor, I mean, the thing you have to be aware of with sponsors is they're using a lot of their social collateral. So you have to be worthy of that sponsorship. So you have already had to establish trust. You're going to have to prove that, that it's worth it for them to put their own reputation on the line. Mm-hmm. I, my wheels are turning so much in my head right now. We talk a lot about how, you know, keep working hard and, and your hard work will be recognized. But now I'm like, okay, you can still work hard, but you need to, you know, actively seek out and build solid relationships with people that will sponsor and keep these wheels turning for you as well. Absolutely. Or make those I, things happen. I, uh, there is a lot to be said for the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe, I mean, there's a, there's a, you can get a certain, uh, you can get so far on based on good work, mm-hmm. but somebody has to recognize that good work and you have to tell people of your good work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having your talking points at hand, like, hey, I did this project and it was really awesome. Oh, hey, I just won this deal and it was really great. Um, 
you have to advocate for yourself so that they can recognize and advocate for you. And I think um, some people, and I think it comes a, a little bit easier to some men, and I won't say all, it comes easier to some women as well. So I think it's just a personality difference in terms of what's acceptable, right? Girls are taught not to brag, right? They're not encouraged to be, you know, if you say, oh, hi, you know, I have the highest score on the test. Okay, well, that's nice. You're going to make somebody else feel bad now. Um, whereas boys are like, hey, I got the highest score and I hit a home run and the mm -hmm. game was won because of me. And they're like, yeah, good job. You know, so I think it's, it's part of societal training that starts at a very young age. That's a really good point. I mean, I completely agree with you. And it's something that might take a little bit of extra effort, uh, especially just in how I grew up, I guess, yeah. speaking to me personally. Yeah. Um, so Victoria, you know, as president and founder of your own boutique consultancy, assisting chemicals companies with their strategy execution, what motivated you to take this leap? So this isn't something that you can kind of you know, flip a switch and make happen. Right. So how did you find the courage, support, sponsors, whatever it might be to take this leap and, and jump into this? Yeah, I will say, um, it was kind of one step at a time, to be honest. So, you know, I think I mentioned even back early in my career, I thought I would have my own company. I thought I'd have an engineering company. Thank God. I don't have an engineering company. That's not appealing to me at all. Um, at this point in my life, but I had, um, I had considered going out on my own a couple of different times. And it, uh, frankly, it does take a certain amount of bravery, right? Because you're rolling the dice um, and you're putting your own reputation and livelihood and family interests and et cetera um, on yourself. But I had left Clarion, it was 2017. I was kicking the tires on some corporate jobs and I didn't love any of them. I like, and I'm like, I, I'm just kind of tired of pleasing somebody else, um, making changes that eh, I don't really want to, or don't want to, you know, maybe live in a certain location or take a certain type of a job. And do I really, do I really want to work that hard anymore? <laughs> that was part of it too. Um, and, uh, a former Clarion colleague approached me and he said, Hey, I'm working for this company. They're trying to get into petrochemicals. They don't even really know how to spell it. Would you just come in and talk with them? That started my first consulting assignment. Um, and I was like, hey, this is pretty good. Um, and I actually did consulting and looking for at corporate stuff in parallel for about six or eight months at that point. And then I was like, you know what? I'm done. I don't know what I'm talking to people about when I'm like meeting somebody. Am I meeting them and trying to impress them for a job and like meeting them and trying to impress them for a consulting engagement. And I finally just decided I'm, um, I'm going all in on consulting and talked with my husband about it. He was super supportive. He said, yeah, you know what, make it happen. Um, do whatever it takes and, um, and started down that path and started, uh, really engaging a lot more within my network to say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I can offer and started gradually building a following, building some credibility, getting some clients and developing from there. Wow. Terrific. It is a kind of a series of baby steps, but it all sounds like it stems from, you know, an inert understanding that eventually someday this is where it would lead you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. 
Very cool. So um, the last question before we kind of open it up to you for advice, Victoria, is on the topic of um, what your podcast, The Chemical Show, focuses on. So it focuses on key industry trends such as sustainability and digitalization in the industry. What changes or shifts do you predict that we can expect to see in the next five years on these topics? Yeah, I mean, it, we are moving fast, right? So we are in an inflection point, I believe, in the industry. So if I just think about sustainability, um, every single day, there is a news article, a press release, something that's coming out about activities that chemical companies are taking um, about to, um, particularly in the area of plastic circularity is a huge focus, right? And so figuring out how to be more, um, create that circularity, have more reuse of plastic. So, you know, by 2030, all of the majors have very ambitious goals. Um, it is going to require um, a lot of a coordinated support, right? And I think the America's plastics makers in particular have been very open about the fact that we need support in the infrastructure bill because one part of the value chain, and you guys get this, the value chain is so complex. If one part fixes it and the other part doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. And so um, I think we're going to see just this continued acceleration towards sustainability. What I find is also really interesting is we're still seeing um, new investments, right? So I just saw this week that CPCAM is getting close to a final investment decision on a new plant. And this is not for recycled material. This is for virgin new material. So um, I think it's really interesting how the demand for chemicals and plastics continues to grow. Um, there's going to be an ever increasing focus on sustainability. And that's, um, and, and frankly, the sustainability, when you look at the UN uh, sustainable development goals, is not just about environmental. It's also about um, diversity and inclusion. It's about water rights. It covers a wide variety of areas. The chemical industry has already done a ton in that space. So it is really um, very far advanced in many environmental facets, air quality, water quality, et cetera. It's just going to continue to develop further. Um, from digitalization, yeah. I mean, so I, I, the chemical industry has been reluctant, frankly, to do anything digital. Yet, we all walk around all day on our iPhones or, you know, Android devices um, and order products for ourselves, do all kinds of stuff, communicate this, that, and the other. Um, the chemical industry has to make a change. Um, and it's starting to make a change. I think, again, the bigger companies have gone much quicker. Um, a lot of their focus has been on uh, big data stuff, right? So doing better with all the data that they've got coming into their SAP systems and their Salesforce systems, et cetera. And so data manipulation and making decisions about that. But I think we're also gonna see a, a ever increasing focus on interface, both inside and outside the company. So many good points. And I'm just shaking my head because I'm like, you're speaking to kind of the major organizations and the initiatives and what's top of mind and priorities for <laughs> even my organization. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's the challenge. It's not easy. And you want to keep and I, to me, one of the biggest challenges in making transformation, and I work with a lot of companies that make transformations of all varieties. One of the biggest challenges is that you're trying to keep your operating business going mm -hmm. while still transforming. So if I think about like the whole sustainability stuff, you got to keep 
producing and selling your core products. Um, and yet you've got to develop and focus the right resources and maybe manufacturing assets to, to this new product, this new, more sustainable cycle, circular, et cetera, product. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy to strike a balance. Um, the chemical industry tends to be a little bit risk averse these days, right? So I would say 30 years ago, not risk averse. Um, Cause if it was risk averse, we wouldn't have any of the stuff that we have today, right? We would have never made any of these products. We would have just said, Ooh, we don't know how to do this. Um, 30 years ago, we were a lot more risk tolerant. Today, we're a lot more risk, risk averse. And so striking that balance is challenging. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So Victoria, as we wrap up here, I have been kind of just trying to wrap my brain around all of these nuggets of kind of insights and advice that you've given me already today. So we talk about, you know, mentorship versus sponsorship. We talked about um, your career pivotal moments and how those decisions were made and how you took those leaps um, amongst many other things. So I'd like to kind of wrap up today and open it up to you for any additional advice, comments, recommendations, um, things for our community to listen to, look into anything. So I'll, yeah. I'll open it to you. Awesome. I actually have several for you because, you know, perfect. thank you for giving me a heads up on that. So, you know, my one maybe best piece of advice is own your own success. Nobody else is going to own your success. You have to own your success. Um, and, um, there's a, a woman I know, she's actually a therapist, um, who she said it's, um, oh my God, now I'm not going to think of it, but it's basically, it's nobody, it's not your business, what anyone else thinks of you. Like it's not on you. So worrying about being judged because you've taken a different path that has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with them and you can't worry about it. Right. So own your own success. Um, there's a book I'm reading right now called Brave Not Perfect by um, Rashmi Sujani, which is a really fascinating book, right? We, and the premise behind this is we teach our boys to be brave and we teach our girls to be perfect. And this is symptomatic of a lot of what goes on in life. I know, uh, Amelia, when we talked before, you talked about how women don't apply for a job unless they meet 75 or 80% of the criteria. Um, and men look at a job title and say, Hey, that looks interesting. Let's go. Right. Um, and, and it's about the way we train with the way society, um, and us as individual train our daughters, um, and people to expect perfection from girls, um, and bravery from boys. And I have a really striking example. So my, um, Three of my daughters have all gone through eighth grade at the same school and they do this eighth grade um, uh, award ceremony. And I have observed this three times now and I'm hoping when my fourth daughter comes through that it will be different. Um, they identify the, they nominate 10 boys and 10 girls for outstanding eighth grader. The girls, were all award winners already. It was the track superstar and the one that won the spelling bee and the girl that uh, was a straight A student for all three years and um, won all. So the girls are perfect in their own ways. They've all won accolades. They've demonstrated some form of perfection, et cetera. 
when they named the boys, I had never seen half of them. They did not win any awards. They were not on the All-A Honor Row. They were not the outstanding athletes. They were outstanding in other ways. So completely different judgments for what makes a male student outstanding versus what makes a girl student, a female student mm. outstanding. So, and it, and it all falls into this brave, not perfect. We need our girls to be brave. Um, so that's one thing. That's my, uh, that's my book recommendation of the day. Um, the podcast I listen to almost daily um, and have for a couple of years is called Increase Your Impact by Justin Sua. And it is a mental, uh, he's a mental sports performance coach for the Tampa Bay Rays. And it's mm -hmm. all about mindset. Um, and it's five minutes of mindset and it's amazing. Um, and it actually can help you really reset where you're at. And I think women, especially um, when you're treading new grounds and new territories and new water need that support. Um, so that's that. And then my, uh, my final saying is my, my favorite saying is comparison is the thief of joy. And, uh, if you just remember that and don't compare yourself, you will experience way more joy in your life. I don't even want to add anything to that. Victoria, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. I need to kind of take this back and rewatch it a couple times because I think I'll learn something new every time. It's been awesome. a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I've enjoyed talking with you girls, ladies, women and girls. <laughs> Thank you.